0: Well, good morning. Can I add my welcome? It's great to see you here this morning on this lovely, lovely, sunny, fresh, frosty morning. Isn't it great? For those of you who don't know me, my name's Lindsay, and I'm one of the pastors here. I don't often appear at the 9.15, so some of you might not really know me. I'm not terribly much of a morning person, so the 11 o'clock tends to be where you'll find me. But it really is nice to be up bright and early um, amongst all of you early risers. We are in the middle of a series from Mark's Gospel at the moment, and today, as you've just heard um, in our reading, we're focusing on a very well-known story. It's fresh in my mind because it was actually the, the topic of a, an assembly that we did at the school when we went to vis- visit the, the Maasai people recently, um, and I'm going to spare you that clip again because it was rather awkward and embarrassing, um, but we are going to revisit the story, if, if not the clip. And there should be a lovely picture of something coming up, yeah. So the story opens with Jesus, tired after a busy day, urging his disciples to set sail for the other side of the lake. And so they leave the crowd and they join Jesus in the boat and they set off on their journey with him to the other side. And it's a beautiful day and Before long, exhausted after his day's teaching, Jesus falls asleep, we're told, in the stern of the boat on a cushion. And all is going well. I imagine it was lovely. Um, And all went well until, that is, a storm starts to brew. And the disciples would have been expert boat handlers. They were trained as fishermen. But when the storm rages, they are terrified. Maybe because they know the seas pretty well and the weather, they can tell that actually this is quite a bad one and it's not going to pass without quite a bit of trouble. And I can imagine that as time went on in this storm, they began to wonder, why on earth did we set sail? Why did we agree to this? Why didn't we see in the weather that things were going to get bad? Um, How could we have been so foolish? I imagine those were kind of some of the thoughts that would definitely have been going through my mind anyway. I'm not great on boats in rough seas. Jesus, though, on the other hand, remains asleep. He actually knows, I imagine, that his father is with him. He knows that he can have full confidence in God to get him to the other side, and so he sleeps in peace. Interestingly, though, the disciples don't seem to interpret Jesus's sleep as a sign of his trust in God, but rather, more urgently for them, they interpret it as a sign that he doesn't care about their well-being and about their safety so they hurriedly wake him up they don't think about the sleep that he needs they wake him up and they complain jesus don't you care that we're dying it's almost as if they believe that this difficulty that they're in was a jesus's fault and b a sign that he doesn't care And it strikes me, you know, that plenty of difficulties happen in our life, don't they? Which are neither God's fault, but actually often a result of our own actions, nor a sign that he doesn't care. They're just things that happen. They're just part of life. But sometimes we leap to the idea that they must be God's fault. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe sometimes... We kind of need someone to blame when things go wrong. A friend told me on the phone yesterday that her grown-up daughter is furious with God right now over her brother's death with cancer. It's understandable, isn't it, to be angry? Understandable. And maybe it just feels easiest to blame God and and to fix it on him, and I'm not criticizing her in any way, because that is the most terrible, terrible thing her to have gone through. Sometimes we need somebody to blame. And the disciples are no different. And eventually their shouts and prods wake him up. And he does something which points very clearly to his divine sovereignty. He gets up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and he transforms the most massive storm into the most amazing calm. With a few words, he shows himself able to do what only the creator God could do. He shows that he has the power to direct the weather and the seas. Wow, imagine being there. Imagine being in that boat and experiencing that. If only they'd understood those disciples, that they were in the boat with someone with such power. They would admit, I think, that their fears were irrational if they'd only realized. But actually, they're not at that point yet in their faith. They still have some way to go before their faith is strengthened through life's circumstances. They haven't known Jesus that long, so how could their faith have got to that point yet? How could those who have only just met Jesus have the same faith as someone who's known him for years and years and years and learned to rely on him in every circumstance? It's not surprising, because it's the tough times in life that help to strengthen our faith as we discover that Jesus is there with us, helping us to deal with it all. They didn't know that yet. They hadn't known him that long. They didn't even really know who he was, so it's not surprising. But Jesus longs for them to have greater faith. Why are you so afraid, he says? Do you still have no faith? He's shown himself as their refuge and strength, their ever-present help in trouble, their comforter who can even still the fury of the oppressors when they roar like the waves of the sea. So they needn't be afraid. They needn't be, but they are. And it's funny, faith comes and goes, doesn't it, depending on circumstances. And I think it's probably most challenged, actually, when danger sets in or when we're very fearful. But you know, Jesus shows himself powerful and able, even when the disciples' faith is dwindling. And I ask myself, if he can do that when they have such little faith, what can he do when people really show their faith? When people really have faith, what can Jesus do then? I think it's a wonderful story, and I think sometimes it's too familiar. But I just want to draw a few things out of this passage as we think about how it can speak to us today. Three questions I have for you. And the first question is this, who's in your boat? Jesus was in the boat with the disciples, and it made all the difference for them. Yes, plenty went wrong. And I imagine that at the end of that day, they were completely drained and exhausted and just wondering why on earth they went on that boat and... You know, maybe they were just fearful about suddenly realizing who Jesus was and trying to process all that. And, you know, why had we been so silly? Why did we get in such a state? Why didn't we realize? I imagine, you know, that they were probably just looking over that day and thinking in some ways that it was terrible. And they got a few things wrong. But they got one thing absolutely right, didn't they? They took Jesus in the boat with them. That they got right. It says they left the crowd and took Jesus in the boat. That was such a good idea, as it turned out. They really needed him there. And as I thought about this, I found my mind sort of wandering. And I started to think about my life as a boat. And I was asking myself, who's in my boat? And there are quite a few people in my boat, as you can imagine. Um, There's my family. There's my extended family. There's all of you, my friends, my colleagues, Christian close Christian friends who I suppose are a bit like the disciples for each other. They help me, to, they encourage me in my faith. So all kinds of people in my boat. But Jesus is in my boat too. He is definitely in my boat. And I'm really glad he is because I need him there. Like the disciples, I need him there, and I'm very glad that he's there right next to me. I need him when things go well, so I can thank him. I need him when I wake up in the night with my mind full of worries at 4.30 in the morning. I need him when my children are on their way home, and I'd actually rather be picking them up in the car. But I know that a certain amount of independence is really good for them and so I've resisted. I need them when my little boy I need him when my little boy gets mugged and has his phone taken and really I'm not very keen on him coming home on the train on his own anymore. I need him to help me make decisions like that. Tough decisions actually that, that concern my family, people who are close to me. I need him when I have a big decision to make. I need him when I don't know what to do. I need him. I need Jesus in my boat. So, who's in your boat? Is Jesus in there? Is he always in there or sometimes not? I've known people who have invited Jesus into his boat at one time and then kind of dropped him off and decided to go on without him. Others invite him into. Maybe when they're coming to church or, or to life group, but at other times they don't really take him because it's actually a bit awkward to have Jesus around all the time. It can be a bit constraining at times. Others I know are never without him. He's there every moment. They take him everywhere. They even take him shopping so that they can make good decisions when they're making their purchases. How about you? Where is Jesus? Is he in the boat with you? My second question is how will you fare in the storm? Because storms are inevitable. They're going to come, but they can be the making of you. How will you fare, I wonder? Because no one gets by without any difficulties. The question is, how will they impact you? Will they destroy you? Will they overwhelm you? Or will they be the making of your relationships with others? And the making of your relationship with Jesus? Because everyone can be full of courage when life is calm. Full of faith. When nothing's urgent or stressful, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to be full of faith then, but it's when we're under extreme pressure, when everything seems set against us, that it's so much harder to stand firm, holding on to that one who has actually promised to be with us to the end of time. He's always with us, but it's hard sometimes to hold on to him when the pressure is on. On Thursday at Connect, we had a bit of a different morning. Connect is our women's morning, for those of you who are visiting. We have a women's morning on a Thursday, and we had a a pastor from Sri Lanka came to speak to us. Her name was Pastor Lalani, and she told us her story of how she had witnessed her husband's murder while her 18-month-old baby slept in the cot in the next room. And as she watched the attackers kill him, this is what she said. She prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I think that's just so amazing that she had the presence of mind to do that. And she did. She forgave them. And she didn't just forgive them with words. She forgave them truly in her heart. And she got herself together again, and as time went on, not immediately, I imagine, but as time went on, she gathered the church together, and she continued to lead her people in worship and praise of God, who she continues to trust and follow, in spite of that atrocity that happened to her husband and to her. She was an inspiration, and she beamed, as she told us her story, She was smiling throughout it and and just seemed so joyful, actually, at the opportunity to share with us about the goodness of God and his faithfulness. Wow, that was a, a huge challenge to me and to those of us who were there. But she was determined not to let the enemy get a foothold, not to let him win that battle. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, having endured literal storms at sea that had resulted for him in at least I think four shipwrecks Um, and he'd also endured um, persecution beyond imagination and this is what he says in verses 8 and 9 we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed And I imagine for him that even saying or writing those words somehow brought new courage for him, gave him the strength to continue even in the face of such terrible difficulty. And, you know, I know lots of you in this church, and I know that there are lots of storms for for some of you. There are choppy waters, there's overwhelming waves, there are rough seas... Maybe right now you're in a storm that I don't know about. I'm sure that's true because I don't know all of you by any means. How will you fare in that storm, I wonder? Will you be overwhelmed? Or will you find that peace in the midst of chaos? That peace that actually nothing in the world can give you. Only God can give it. It's a supernatural peace. The Bible says that passes understanding. Only comes from God. I wonder what you'll do. I wonder how you'll fare. You know, you can invite Jesus into your storm anytime you want, and he will help you. The third question is Do you believe in miracles? Jesus worked a miracle for the disciples. The calming of the storm is the first apparently so called nature miracle in the Gospel of Mark, and it gave the disciples a clue as to who Jesus was, what his full identity was. They already knew a little bit, they'd heard Jesus tell parables and explain them, but this miracle on the sea almost kind of reveals a little bit more to the disciples about who Jesus is. And that's why they say to each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Divine power is at work through Jesus. And here they see who he is and what he can do for the lives of those who are threatened or maybe even just in some difficulty. He has the power over the forces of chaos, and he can rescue people from whatever storms um, they may be experiencing at the time. And I don't know about you, but it gives me great encouragement to know that we worship a God who has power to act in the midst of danger or threat and to conquer the powers of darkness. And whilst we, of course, know that we can't always expect a miracle, we can't always expect that, We can certainly expect God to intervene with a miracle as much today as he did then for those disciples. We really can. I wonder who amongst you could say, and raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you to, but I'd be so interested to know, would you say that you've ever experienced a miracle? I certainly have. Okay, some people are putting your hands up. Maybe, okay, let's, why don't you put your hand up, if you've, write up, if you've experienced a miracle, look around, look around and see. Probably others of you have and you've forgotten. Maybe they were little miracles, maybe I should segregate. Big miracles, smaller miracles. I have definitely experienced some big miracles in my time and I want to very quickly tell you about one, which, um... I don't know whether you've heard about it before. I've experienced lots, and some of them are more familiar to you than um, others. But just um, listen to this, because I believe that God intervened supernaturally on this day for me. It was many years ago now, and a French friend of mine who I'd met during my year abroad um, when I did my French degree, she was a good friend of mine, and she, she was a travel agent, and she won a trip to Hong Kong. And she phoned me up and she said, "Um, I've won this trip. I have to go from Gatwick. Could I come and stay with you on the way there? Stay the night and you could maybe take me to Gatwick. I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll ask my dad if I can borrow his car because I knew it was a very reliable car. And um, so off we went. We left in plenty of time for Gatwick. Um, And um, as we drove into Surrey, it was, I think it was before the M25 anyway, there weren't so many motorways then. And as we drove into Surrey, we hit really bad traffic. We had left in plenty of time. I want to urge you, those who know that I'm not always great on timekeeping, we really had. (laughs) And um, my friend was due to meet her friend at the check-in at 5 to 10 for a 10 o'clock check-in and her plane. That off at 11. Okay. So as we were in this traffic, she said to me, don't worry if we don't get there at 5 to 10. As long as we're there by 10, it'll be fine. I was thinking we're not going to be there by 10. But anyway, I didn't want to worry her. Anyway, we, we, hit, we hit this traffic jam. And um, by 10 past 10, we were still in the traffic jam. And I thought, okay, we must be fairly near Gatwick now. And then I saw a sign, Gatwick, 12 miles This was 10 past 10. My heart sunk and we were behind a very slow lorry and we couldn't overtake. And I found myself panicking and praying urgently, Lord, please help. Please work a miracle. Those were my words. Well, at 20 past 10, we came to this huge junction. And at that point, the miracle happened because the car cut out and I couldn't get the engine going. 20 past 10, 11 o'clock flight. I I was absolutely beside myself. I shouted to my friend. I said, just wind down the window and stop the next car that comes. So she did. And um, this guy stopped in his car. I said, And he looked at me. He said, are you all right? I said, you're not going anywhere near Gatwick, are you? He said, well, no, not exactly. But are you desperate? I said, yes, I'm desperate. He said, OK, I'll drive you there. So he parked his car, and he helped me to push my car. It was a massive junction, just so many you know, traffic lights. Helped me push my car up onto the side of the road, and this woman came out. She said, you can't park here. I'm going to call the police if you park here. And he said, well, I am a policeman, and it's fine. So we left the car. My friends and I got in this car. We didn't know this guy. We were going 100 miles an hour down the motorway. And, um, and I, just, I said to him, we were sitting in the back, kind of cowering, and I said to him, are you actually a policeman? He said, well, not exactly, but I'm a customs official. And I knew that God was in it. And uh, so we, we, we drove to Gatwick, and um, he, we, when we got there, he said, um, he said I'm not going to be able to come in. I'm going to drop you outside the, ter- the terminal. This is at 2211. I'm going to drop you outside the terminal. You go and check in, and I'll park up and come and um, we we rushed to their desk and of course the hostess told us that we were too late and I begged her, I said please will you ring the plane and just find out so she rang the plane and was told no, sorry the gate's closed, it's definitely too late and at this point our friend arrived, he parked the car and he showed his ID and he said I'll verify the baggage, let them through so she said okay and she gave us a boarding pass but she said please don't say it, it was me that sent you and so off went my friend, we went to the gate, at which point the guy said, I'm going to have to leave you here, I'm going to take her through to the plane. And he took her through, and it was the longest 20 minutes I'd ever waited. Um, and eventually he came back without her, and um, he said that initially they wouldn't let her on because she didn't have a visa for Bahrain. Um, but eventually he managed to talk her on. On she went, and the plane flew Took off straight away. It took me 12 minutes. It took me. He took me all the way back to my car. Not 12 minutes. I don't know how long it took. 12 miles back to my car. I got in my car and it went first click. And to this day, I do not know why that car cut out. I have no idea. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, but what I do know is that if it hadn't cut out, I would never have got my friend to that plane because we would never have met that customs official. It's been said that a a miracle is an event that strengthens faith. And that's certainly been true for me. It's been true every time. And I continue to pray for miracles when I need them. They don't always happen, but I pray for them, for me and for others when I know that they need them too. So I think that miracles do strengthen faith. But I also think that miracles stem from faith in God. But when we have faith in God, we're more likely to see miracles. I think it's both ways round. So I want to finish by saying, maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now. Maybe you need a miracle. And if you do, then keep asking. Don't give up. Don't give up expecting God to act. Because he often does. Why don't we stand? I'd like us to pray, and then we're going to move into communion.